Okay, Pleasure Seekers, this episode of Project Pleasure contains language of a sexual nature. So, strap in. Project Pleasure. Hi, I'm Frankie Wells. I'm Anishka Tate. And this is Project Pleasure, the podcast that puts the pleasure back into safe sex and healthy relationships. And it's our last episode of Series 2. I'm very sad. You sound it. I am sad. <laughs> I sound happy, but I am. Listen, I feel really sad about it. I don't know what to do with myself. Well, we've got a whole episode to do first, so don't, okay, well, don't give up on me quite yet. Do the episode first. <laughs> so on this, our last episode of series two, we are going to explore how sex intersects with chronic illness and disability. And like many of the topics we talk about, this is absolutely huge. So we're obviously only going to be able to begin to scratch the surface in the hour that we've got now. But what we're hoping that it will do is get you thinking, especially if these are the sort of things that you've never had to think about before. And that actually will all come away with kind of principles around empathy and communication that are really relevant to all humans so we're going to be talking to miss eve who's a sex educator sex worker and queer disabled writer and the lovely hannah whittam best known as youtuber and the author of doing it she's going to be telling us about how sex has changed since having her stoma bag so here's a little bit of what's to come there will be lots of trial and error there will be times during sex and it's happened Maybe be a certain position, like, no, we have to stop now. We have to stop. We have to move. Something's going wrong with my body. The stoma bag is, like, stuck to me, but then it also hangs. It's a bit loosey-goosey and flaps around, which can just get in the way. So any, like, high-waisted or, like, full-body kind of thing that is crotchless just keeps the bag snug against your body. And it's that, for assumption, great for disabled people. From people who have never had disability, never had any problems with chronic illness, like, how can you say that it's going to be great for a disabled person if you've never experienced life as a disabled person. How can you tell people that? Oral sex, there was definitely like some barriers that, that we had to kind of overcome because like the bag is like so close. The bag basically like hangs down like over my pubes. That was just like more of like a mental thing to like overcome that like there is also a bag of poo really close to my face whilst I'm like in this situation. <laughs> So I feel like, Anisha, you have a little bit more experience on this than me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey? So I'll be honest, I think I kind of wanted to leave this episode till last because I knew that there was a lot of stuff going on in my life that I maybe hadn't wanted to face up to yet. And I knew that doing this episode would mean that I would have to talk about it. If you cry, I'm going to cry. I'm, no, I'm not going to cry. We're going to get through one well, episode without... Well, let me look I you dead in my eyes. It, no. Turn around. Don't no, cry. I'm looking you dead in the eyes. There's a safe space. <laughs> no, listen, okay, so there are a lot of factors to talk about here. And the preamble for those who don't know is that in 2016, I lost the use of my legs and I had to spend the last few years kind of learning to walk again, learning to get signals to my arms and to my legs, and learning to live with excruciating pain, being on medication that, you know, helps certain symptoms, but then also gave me horrible side effects as well. And the thing about having a predominantly hidden illness is that to look at, you know, people don't necessarily know that I was ill or injured. So for the last couple of years, I feel like I have struggled with people wanting to kind of gossip like personally aside from this podcast obviously about men and sex and I haven't quite known what to say about why I wasn't dating and why yeah. I didn't have any desire to meet new people or have sex with you know without going into some like massive x-factor sob story like oh, I've kind of been a bit busy trying not to die so like that's taking up some time yeah, I'll be honest with you. up my priority list yeah. 
But then as they have started getting better, I've had to face up to the fact that I'm not the same person anymore anymore in, in quite a few ways. So, for example, I was thinking about this and my thing, in my head anyway, was always that I'm super flexible. So I used to be a gymnast, I used to be a dancer, I have hypermobile hips, which sounds very not sexy when I say it like that. But in terms of like... Oh, it sounds sexy. Being sexy, it, it meant that I felt like I was quite fun in bed because I was kind of happy to try out all these like crazy, ridiculous limbs all over the place positions kind of things. And so suddenly realising that I barely had enough control over my legs to walk from the sofa to the fridge mm. made me really... I don't know, upset, frustrated, anxious. Do you feel like, yeah, anxious. part of, like, your identity's gone? Yeah, and, and it's that thing of, like, I, I just didn't know if I'd be physically strong enough for sex, which is just something you, you just you don't, don't consider. That yeah, just doesn't I've even enter your mind. I've definitely taken that for granted before. Yeah, and just sort of knowing that even if I did go into a situation... I have no idea what my body would be capable of practically and if it might let me down. And then there's the fact that mentally I absolutely did not feel like myself. So part of what I had for a long time, I had terrible cognitive function. Like I could barely form a sentence in my brain because everything was so fuzzy and it was a miracle if I had the energy to then say those words out loud. And that kind of only highlighted to me how much I wanted someone to be into me mentally and yeah. you know want to be intimate with every part of me and my character but I didn't exactly have that going for me either that's so <laughs> wild because like you are genuinely one of the most like well put together like you think about everything you're gonna say mm. like everything you say has like a meaning you, you don't throw away your words yeah and for you to say like things are fuzzy in your brain mm. like I know that you are you're a thinker, you're yeah. always working. Like, even if Anushka's not talking, she's thinking about <laughs> what's going to happen next and her plan. Like, yeah. And also, you're a super active person. And just thinking about you not being able to be those things, like, mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know that person. So, yeah. having that taken from you, I feel must have been so hard on so many levels, not even your sex life. I guess, yeah. I guess like, it's not even something, I, I, was it something that was like, this is a huge issue right now? Or was that like, I can't, I have to put this to one side right now because I just have to focus on so many other things, mainly getting better. Yeah, I think. well, I think at the beginning, it was very much like I had no time or energy to process any of mm. these things that I can now articulate like it was literally just stay alive please and get yeah. through the day like yeah. that was it and it's more once I was recovering that I kind of had time it almost got worse I think because you then do you have enough energy to it, yeah. sit there and think I'm not the person I was I'm not the person that I thought I was and, and actually you know the trouble is that in times of bad mental health in the past being mm. at the gym and having sex are actually the moments that I feel most Yourself, free and yeah. in touch with my real self because I think it is it's that thing of it being quite a physical experience that actually can take you out of your head and Anushka's it, one of those really annoying people that like <laughs> enjoys going to the gym and being really like physical and fit like but, we're but, gross but genuinely you know I think I think there is something about and I know that this works for a lot of people who get really bad anxiety and stuff mm. that actually having having a physical sensory experience yeah. can bring you back into that moment and make you feel alive yeah. um, and I couldn't do that I can only relate in like the most pathetic way of like when I broke my ankle having a broken ankle like lasted like nine weeks mm. you didn't know how this was gonna go yeah yeah and I always so how do you I, stay I, like positive 
Um, with difficulty. Yeah. I think you're right that that's worse almost. I genuinely, there were so many points where I would go to doctor's appointments and they'd be like, we can't tell you if you'll be fine next week or in five years or never kind of thing. And that was honest to the point where I like, I wanted them to be like, just tell me you'll be like this for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you I just, just needed to have like, a deadline. Closure almost, yeah. almost to just be like, okay, this is it now. I'll get used to this. And yeah. that's just how I'll get on with my life. How long so there was, was like it overall? A, almost three years now, which is crazy in itself and I think yeah no and I have and I think I I need to be mindful of that of course but like it's hard looking but I think I've had to make a very active decision or realization that I will never be the person that I was before she it sounds really morbid but like she's gone like I'm not that person what's different I don't I don't quite no, and actually, I think one of the hard things is that I don't know if some of it is just that, like, I was 24 when it happened and I'm 27 now and, you know, yeah. I was living a kind of carefree, I was young, 20-something in London, like, no responsibilities, great. Yeah. So whether some of it is just age and, like, some of what I feel would have happened anyway or whether I've made decisions in my life that are different now because of that. Mm. But in terms of the, you know, the sex side of things, again, the other thing that I've I've kind of been exploring a bit more recently now that I've got a bit more energy to even think about these things is the fact that I was put on um, antidepressants very near the, like literally a couple of weeks in, which was actually to help kind of dull and numb some of the physical pain. Now, some antidepressants are known to be a libido killer. Yeah. And honestly, I can only describe my loss of interest in sex in the same way as that pain. So like it was just numb and it was subdued and it was suppressed. It wasn't that I was repulsed by sex. It was almost like, like I just have no emotions towards it whatsoever. Like you're at a restaurant, you've eaten your favourite meal, you're yeah. good, and then someone's put like a bit of bread in front of you and you, you don't, you're not opposed to bread, but you're like, oh, I don't really need yeah. it, I don't really want yeah. it. And everyone else is and like, that's, and why that's, don't you want the bread? I'd almost rather have been like completely repulsed or something so that at least you're feeling something. Mm. But I was just like feeling nothing. nothing because of these pills. And it took me, I think because I was put on them for the pain, I didn't, connect it to being an antidepressant because that wasn't why I was you know being prescribed it and it took me a long time to make that connection between my lack of interest in sex and medication yeah but when I did realize that yeah I made a very conscious decision to like manually override it Mm. I was kind of like okay I'm not gonna let this get in the way thank you very much so at first even though I really did not feel like it I actively made myself you know meet new people and go on dates and have sex and hope that any tiny flame of my former self would kind of be reignited and I think it has yeah, like definitely. I almost I almost needed to like deliberately put myself back yeah. in a sexy situation to be brought memories of how much I do mm. love that skin on skin contact do you think you'll ever come off them oh at this moment I can't see it happening anytime soon um, you still in pain it's more not because I'm in pain but they are so addictive that they're just really hard to come off and I I did try to come off them I've tried to come off them a couple of times and it has not gone well for my mental health so it's just easier to stay on them and I think now that I know now that I'm back in control of the other things I can control yeah. how it makes me feel in a in a weird kind of way and I think there was definitely something for me and kind of felt like I was mourning the loss of this person that I used yeah. to be or that I wanted to be again. Yeah. But actually, I needed to just make myself be that person again. Yeah. And part of that was my body had not been sexy for a number of years. It had been medical. It had mm. been completely mm. immobile, mm. you know, and I almost needed to just put myself back in that situation so that I could remember that it is capable yeah, of doing that, that. There's a spark in yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. 
The first time you had sex, mm. what was that like? Credit to the person that it was. They made me feel really good about myself because they were just coming at seeing my body with fresh eyes. Mm. They had, you know, they didn't really have any idea of what I was feeling about my body and they yeah. just responded to my body in the way that they wanted to. There's no that there's not that attachment mm. of being like, here's Anushka, she's broken yeah. in yeah. a way. Yeah. yeah. And that's not other, that you were broken. No, Beb. no, no, but that's the other thing of like that was something that I struggled to navigate when I was like telling people about it because on the one hand I wanted people to know and understand what I'd gone through but mm-hmm. then I didn't want them to see me as an ill person because the whole point was that I wanted them to see me as like the fun vibrant me kind of thing but mm-hmm. at the same time that it informs so much of who I yeah. am now that you can't not talk about it yeah so it's yeah I don't know it's a weird one I think I think you know in terms of the rest of this episode as well the what the wider take home for me is that our society's view is that disabled people aren't sexual beings and that speaks volumes about what we deem sex to be and it kind of puts all the emphasis on us being physically able to perform and that's what we've deemed normal and actually sex is so much more than that and in a weird way I think maybe this was really useful for me to go through and remember that like sex is about intimacy not gymnastics i think we are so overwhelmed with this image you have to be able-bodied white thin no pubic hair Mm. huge penis that's when you get to have sex and it's a performance and that's when you have pleasure because you've earned it because you have these like ticks and actually like everyone has desire and pleasure Mm. and like wants to be pleasured and you shouldn't have that taken away from you because in some way you are disabled or you have an illness that doesn't stop your mind Mm. you know like i very much have to be turned on in my mind Mm. i'm glad you're outside of the tunnel yes on the other side of the tunnel the other i am somewhere that is not in the tunnel yeah she's not in there guys i've checked Um, i went for a good search yeah she's gone anyway enough about me should we have a chat with our guests yes let's i go to briefing Giving us a good debriefing today is Eve Adler, who is a sex worker, a sex educator and a queer disabled writer. Tell us a bit about you and sort of how you would describe yourself and your disability. Oh, gosh, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) I do have a bullet point in this. I literally have a sheet that I kind of show doctors like this is everything wrong with me. Have it. And within that, there's, you've got like fibromyalgia, problems with my jaw, t- TMJ or D, depending on which doctor you talk to, sciatica, <laughs> hip problems, asthma, allergies. I'm going to forget the rest of them. And then most predominantly at the moment, I've got the problems with my feet, which I think might be complex regional pain syndrome or erythromyalgia. What about your sexuality and your desires? How do you um, identify? I identify myself as queer. I when I first realised I wasn't straight, I went with bi. And then I think when I got to like the whole uni thing, I was like, yeah, this doesn't really fit because it's not just two. I like I like everything. I've got enough labels in all the other areas of my life, ironically. And then sexuality, I identify more as a kinkster, I guess. I like the more BDSM aspects, the kinks, the fetishes. Have been on like local kink scenes, have tried things out. I mean, my job, my main job is essentially all fetish based. So all the clip production, phone sex, all those types of things. Yeah, so kind of a fetishist that likes exploring things, I guess. Wow. And how is that exploration kind of affected by your disabilities? Well, there are some things you just can't do. (laughs) (laughs) 
some positions and some fetishes that are just hardest to do. Face sitting and hip problems do not go hand in hand. Mm. I imagine. Is it a kind of trial and error thing where you have to kind of learn because the information isn't out there or do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And everyone's body is different. Uh, like what will fit one person's body, uh, disabled uh, chronic illness, mobility issues, will not be tried and true, tested for another person. There's no one solution for everyone. What are some of the ways that it affects you personally in terms of your sex life? It's a lot more communication. A right. lot more communication than I've ever done before in my life. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be a simple thing as, I mean, even today, I woke up exhausted. So one of those days, I'm just going to be exhausted. And there was the potential for sex to happen. But it was like, I've got a podcast to do. And I know if that I use all my energy having sex, it's just not going. This podcast probably won't happen. So I didn't have sex. So Oh my yes. gosh. <laughs> I'm so you honored. chose a podcast over sex. I have honestly we... never been so honored in my life. <laughs> there will be lots of trial and error. There will be times during sex. And it's happened that be having sex, if I'm paying some vagina sex, and maybe be a certain position, like, no, we have to stop now. We have to stop. We have to move something's going wrong with my body or we've had to figure out what kink equipment kind of handcuffs work best so we know that velcro is okay but it hurts my fingers we know that handcuffs are just too fiddly particularly when i'm exhausted so we found these rubber cuffs that uh, my partner can do himself so we i don't have to do anything if worse comes to worse would happen and my body decided it needed to not break down, but just do its own thing and ends up with a 999 call, which it does occasionally. My partner can get himself out of any situation because it's a safety thing as well. So you just, you learn as you go and you find out what's best for you. Are kind of sex aids quite a big part of your sex life? Yes and no. I've had toys that are just, there's no hope for them. And I've had toys that are... <laughs> Slightly controversial post, but lauded for being great for disabled people. And it's that, for assumption, great for disabled people. This mm. is definitely great for disabled people. From people who have never had disability, never had mobility problems with chronic illness. Like, How can you say that it's going to be great for a disabled person if you've never experienced life as a disabled person? How can you tell people that? You can't tell people that unless you're a disabled person or... If you think a toy is going to be great for disabled people, why not ask a disabled person? It's not one size fits all for disability. You've got people with arthritis. You've got people who have paralysis. You've got someone like me who's a bit of hodgepodge of everything. So people have different needs. What are the, what are the biggest uh, misconceptions that people have around, you know, disabilities and sex? Yeah, one, that we can't have sex. Two, that we don't have sexual desires. This was really prominent when I was getting a medication change. A lot of antidepressants are used off-label and used for a lot of different things. And it's to do with nerves. Most of these little slips have, you know, can cause a lack of sexual desire. And lo and behold, I got that. And my doctor was so shocked when I told her that I wanted to come off it because it was affecting my ability to orgasm. And she pushed against it. She's like, that's that's not a good enough reason. I was like, it is. Wow. <laughs> it's yeah. quality of life here. You've got quality of life. People don't want to talk about it. And they just presume 
we don't have any sexual desire. Even people treat us like we're kids, mm. which happens a lot. And it can be anything from talking over us. So if my partner's with me, people talk to him and not me. It can be um, someone doing something that I can do, but they're going to do it instead because they think they know better. And that comes along as part of the package when you're disabled that people start treating you uh, like you're a kid. How important is maybe representation in the media and that sort of thing and in wider society and making sure that people with disabilities know that they have a right to feel sexy and have a right to have sex? Do you think that the media and the way we represent people with disabilities is a problem? Oh, definitely. Most of the time when I see it, it's inspiration porn. I mean, take your popular shows that might show a disabled character, take your popular films that might show a disabled character. The vast majority of the time, they're played by able-bodied people. Mm. And if you're disabled and you see a disabled character, generally you'll research because you want to know if that person is disabled. You want to know if that role is being played by someone like you. And people don't really get it when people are annoyed or angry when able-bodied people are playing disabled roles. Like with Brian Cranston, controversy surrounding him. And he was like, well, you know, it's a job. It's like, yeah, but... If you have the platform to raise disabled voices, because there are disabled actors out there, they just aren't given a chance and they really need to be given a chance. And it's the same when you get to sex and disability. There's not that much or barely any representation and barely any talk. I mean, I cannot remember at all ever being talked to about my disabilities and sex and my sex life with any doctors. Our society is built for able-bodied people and not disabled people, whether it's from uh, sex disability or just general representation on the screen, which there is barely any. So it sounds like you weren't getting talked to at school, Mm. weren't getting talked to by doctors, weren't seeing people who looked like you, sounded like you, felt like you on, you know, on TV and magazines. Where did you develop your sexuality from? Fan fiction. (laughs) I read lots of fan fiction when I was younger. So I was having a think about this the other day and how I used to be really embarrassed about reading fan fiction. And then I realised that, no, I really shouldn't be because I probably got more of an education through fan fiction than I did in school sometimes because people within their stories would like write bits of information like, oh, what does this mean? So I'll go and look that up. That's generally how I spent most of my years back then. I kind of had to learn as I went because certain people would respond differently some people would be fine. And then you've got some people who were so ignorant. I vividly remember um, one experience where I was having sex and need to stop. And this guy was like, just a little bit longer. It's like, no, my hip is cramping. My hip is not doing well. I was like, oh, no, no. And just the disregard. I mean, like, if there is no education for disabled people, there is similarly no um, conversation about an able-bodied person having sex with a disabled person and it going... The disabled person might need to stop at any moment. If orgasm is a natural painkiller, I was just wondering how big that plays a part and masturbation plays a part in your own self-care. A funny one. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more. Yes. Well, I'm having to relearn how to masturbate. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I've recently discovered that my ribs might be moving about, which is a fun one. And I realised that when you get to the point of orgasm you kind of clench and I was clenching so much that I think I was moving my ribs around so I'm having to relearn how to relax when orgasming and not clench it, it's really taking something to not because when you're close to orgasm you kind of just you, you want it but I love masturbation 
I used to be kind of on setting records for myself, like 20 orgasms in one session, which is not something I could ever do nowadays. But way before the medication stuff, I I don't know how I did it, but and I don't know how I had the stamina, but would just sit in bed masturbating to kink.com porn. Not actually that many toys. I have so many more toys now, and I kind of masturbate less, ironically. But I try and put it back in as self-care nowadays, because whilst it's a pain killer, it's great, it can also cause pain, like with the ribs. It's also an energy thing. Like, if you masturbate... It might feel great, great endorphins, but it could zap your entire energy for the whole day. So it's a lot of pros and cons when you're disabled and trying to think of these things. Does knowing that something could potentially go wrong or that you could potentially be in pain because of sex, does that affect the way that you kind of go into each sexual encounter? Is there always a kind of, oh God, but what if something bad happens? Or do you try to kind of go in assuming that it will be wonderful and amazing and pleasurable (laughs) i try to stay pretty chill about it because if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen i've been dealing with my body long enough to know you might as well enjoy it while you can but there is a certain almost terror where my mind gets kind of into the oh you know this could hurt and i know this is gonna hurt and if i do this then you know if i do some pegging then i know my feet are going to really hurt because they're going to go hot and that's going to be really bad and it could cause a flare and it's so easy to get into that kind of downward spiral. Sometimes it doesn't enter my mind. It depends. And also my partner's very good at getting my head out of that. It's a reality that something bad could happen, but you kind of have to get on with it really. And what are the positives of having disabilities and figuring out your sex and what you enjoy and your desires? There has to be so much more communication because I've learned that if you don't communicate, it just ends up disastrous. Your hip's going to do something or you have chronic pain or you're liable to bruise more. If you don't have those conversations, then it ends up worse in the long run. And also the person has to be receptive to them because people can just brush it off. So after the communication comes a lot of adventure. You might be able to go for 10 20 minutes but that might make my jaw lock around your cock so we're gonna figure out a different way to do this i want the first post i'd written about kind of sex and stability and figuring out other ways to do things because i'd, I'd given a blowjob and then two days after my jaw was on fire i was like there's, there's got to be an easy way to do this and i had a look i googled good old google hmm. i was like right is there any way to get easier with blowjobs and i was like nothing really it was a lot of men saying they wanted more blowjobs if anything <laughs> not helpful oh, how do i yeah. get more hmm. yeah and that's what kind of kicked off the wanting to write more about it and it's to this day still one of my popular blog posts which it was surprising because it's one of those off the cuff ones i just kind of written you kind of ha- you have to do the experimentation you have to find a way that works for you And it can lead to some interesting times. (laughs) More communication, more experimentation and lots of laughs in the bedroom when things go wrong because it's the best thing to do. Just to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, you started sort of talking about potential relationships between people you know sort of someone who does have a disability and someone who doesn't and there's something that I wanted to touch on in terms of this concept of devoteeism. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Okay, we'll go with that. It's something that I hadn't really 
come across before, but if you wouldn't mind just sort of telling us what it is. It's essentially when people get sexual arousal from people's disabilities. So if someone's in a wheelchair or if they've got an amputated limb, other people online get arousal from that. And you can get it when you post pictures on Instagram in your wheelchair and you get comments in your DMs about, you know, looking sexy in your wheelchair and then them wanting to see how hard it is and wanting to see kind of your life and they get off on that. So what I'm thinking about that is, is it a positive empowering movement or is it potentially problematic and fetishization of disability? Where is that line? That's a good question. (laughs) It's particularly interesting because, you know, sex work, I deal with fetishes. A lot of people who have arousal from what some people would not consider the norm, you know, giant test fantasies where, you know, I might make out to be massive and there's a tiny little person. Lawnmower fetishes, which is a thing. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. There's a lot of different fetishes. And so I'm pretty open-minded. I think it's down to each person. And I think for me, and this is just me personally, some people might find differences with it. For me, I can't wrap my head around it because of how much pain I've been through with my disability. I think it's the same as with so many things in sex, actually, that I think maybe the issue comes in in that it's potentially more about power rather than Mm. pleasure. But that's kind of the case with with so many parts of sex. And actually, there are plenty of things within kink and BDSM and voyeurism and whatever else that can be safe and consensual and reciprocal and can acknowledge that pleasure and power and play aren't deviant or dangerous inherently. It's just about whether it's a mutually consensual thing. Yeah, normally I think there's like a positive power imbalance. Mm. But this particular defeat, it feels like such a negative one. Right. I mean, it's kind of like feet fetishes in a way where you get people who are into your feet commenting on every single post of yours Mm. without permission. And people who have come into my DMs and have commented about me in a wheelchair when I did post pictures on Instagram, I did take some of them down because I felt a bit odd about it. It feels like such a, like I said, odd imbalance because it's quite vulnerable for me mm. to post those pictures. They're fetishizing it without my consent yeah. and it's not something that sits well. Like if there are disabled people who engage with devoteeism, who, you know, maybe do it for money and are happy with it, that doesn't bother me. I think as long as there's an agreed upon kind of equal exchange of power. I know some disabilities can impact the mental side. Some people don't have the cognitive abilities or the cognizance to realise that this could be a potential harmful thing for them. And that's when it raises my hackles because then that is well preying on disabled people. And that is where it's very problematic for me when it becomes more preying on them and them saying it to get a rise. And whereas where if it's more consensual, then I get that more to a point. And my head is still struggling with it, but I can wrap my head around that more. Wow. It's honestly, uh, as an able-bodied person, you don't think about these things and they're not something you have to go through. And I think you... Articulated it amazingly, and I think thank it's you. something we should all be learning about. Eve, thank you so much for joining us on Project Pleasure. Where can our listeners find out more about your work and just follow you in general? On Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest, I'm now MS 
Eve Adler, and then eveadler.com for my blog. Sex Hacks. Hey, we're Jan and Sinead, founders of The Sway, the bi-monthly pleasure package subscription service helping to spice up your sex life. And here are three extra hot tips for talking dirty. Tip one, pick up the phone. Initiating sexy chats can be the most uncomfortable part, especially if you've never done it before. That's why we suggest starting off with some good old-fashioned phone sex. Give your partner a call, cut the small talk, and instead just launch yourself into a detailed description of a great sexual memory you share. What you felt like, what they looked like, what you were thinking, paint a colorful picture of the entire experience from start to finish. Once you're done, just hang up. This isn't about dialogue. This is just about getting the ball rolling. Tip two, narrate. The biggest hurdle to successful erotic communication is usually mind blank. You lose your track, forget what you're gonna say, and then the spell is broken just like that. So here's our easy tip for staying on track. Simply narrate exactly what you are doing before you do it. Like, I'm going to, or if you're feeling a little more confident, narrate what you want your partner to do to you. Like, lick my so-and-so. This way, you'll always have something to say. Tip three, experiment with roleplay. Erotic roleplay provides the chance to get in touch with a different aspect of your sexual identity, whilst also putting a safety barrier between you and the character you're playing. Instead of launching yourselves into a full-on fireman's narrative, we'd suggest starting a little closer to home. Agree to meet your partner in a bar after work, like 10 minutes apart, and chat each other up. Same names, same facts, the only difference. In this game, you're total strangers. Only break the spell after you've done the magic. Until next time, stay sexy, pleasure seekers. Pillow talk. I feel like we need to sound some sort of claxon because we have sex education royalty joining <laughs> us today for some intimate pillow talk. It's YouTuber and author of Doing It, Hannah Whitten. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you both? <laughs> really good, thank you. Honoured that you've come down. So honoured. Oh, thanks for having me. So listen, before we go back to the beginning and talk about sex education and, and that stuff as well, on this episode, we're obviously wanting to kind of explore how disability and chronic illness intersect with sex mm-hmm. and understanding of bodies. So tell us why you have a particular authority, I guess, <laughs> on this now. Authority. <laughs> yeah, so I um, have ulcerative colitis, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. And I've had that since I was seven. But basically in December last year, I had a really bad flare up that ended up with me having emergency surgery in January. And yeah, now I have a stoma. And um, and then I had to have another surgery five months later because I have a, a, a adhesions and oh. all that stuff. So it's been a crap year, but... Oh, literally crap. <laughs> there are so many puns. There are so many poo puns that um, can be used. But yeah, so I have a stoma bag and also both of the surgeries I had were like open surgeries, so they cut me open. So I have also been like recovering from abdom- mm, abdomen. Yeah. Uh, that word I've had to say so many times. Abdominal surgery um it's a tongue twister it is so i've talked a lot about how having a stoma changes like sex and also like body confidence and i've done a lot of underwear photo shoots to kind of like help help myself and help others with that no, that's amazing yeah. i think like initial was saying like let's rewind what was your sex education growing up because mm. until doing it and your youtube like i i would have never had this door open to me about you know chronic illness and disabilities mm. around sex people don't talk about it growing up my sex education i imagine it's probably quite similar to yours is Mm. that they're like here's how you you put a condom 
well, not even on a banana. In my school, it was test tubes, which was is it? very... A test tube, that's... That makes me feel quite uncomfortable. What if it breaks, please? Yeah. Wait. Also, <laughs> it's tiny. It How shatters. do you... No. Yeah, it, it was... That was all they had. Fine. We just used Fine, the we'll test work tubes. Got. Could no one go to Sainsbury's the day before? <laughs> on the way in? <laughs> um, and then they told us what about the pill... And they showed us loads of pictures of genitals that had untreated STIs. Oh, no, yeah. I'd never had that. That was what I had. Yeah. yeah. It was just really fear-mongering. Like, yeah. That was when I was about 14 years old. And I re- do remember, like, for years, believing that STIs were disgusting, that anyone who got an STI was disgusting and stupid. Mm. And that was, like, what was instilled in me yeah. from seeing those pictures and the way that they taught us about STIs. There was no, like, it's, it's all fine, here's how you prevent them. Like here's like where you go if you think you might have one or like it you know a, like reducing the no, stigma just like rational so that, conversation yeah. around it because so many people like don't go and get tested and don't mm. talk about it because of the stigma yeah. around it it's outrageous but what what about like what bodies were presented to you i guess well because i've acquired my I don't, like i also don't even know if it's a disability but we'll just use that mm. word because i've acquired mine at the time i felt represented but obviously i'm at the time was able-bodied and also I'm white and I'm straight and I'm cis. I did feel very represented in in that sense. But then since then, I think I'm in a unique position because talking about sex is like part of my job. And so when I was having the conversations with like the nurses and the surgeons in hospital, I was pretty comfortable. Like I was all right being like, so what about sex to like the nurse and be like, how does that work? Whereas I feel like a lot of other people might not. I think a yeah. lot of people just wouldn't, you know, you're, when you're going through that sort of thing anyway, when you're in hospital having to deal with things that you don't necessarily yeah. understand, that's not going to be at the forefront of your mind. How did they react to that question? They're fine. Just totally professional, obviously. Just like, here are the facts, this, this, this. And actually, I think the first time we talked about it, it wasn't even me who asked, because I was so ill. Oh, yeah. um, my parents were very much there as like, helping me communicate mm. and like do do things for me Aww. and I remember um the stoma nurse coming in for a chat but I was like on the toilet in pain so and then my dad was in the room and I remember my dad asking her about it and I was like yeah go dad because because obviously like okay. he just knew that that would be something that I would want to know about yeah. and mm. so he asked and then when I was off the toilet I was like <laughs> okay now I'm ready to have this conversation so what sort of things did they say or did they advise or suggest? it was just like it shouldn't um, make a difference really and and all it was was just managing the stoma bag mm-hmm. um, so she was just like you can fold it up if it's got velcro on it or like there are like products that you can get that just like hold it down um, but I've done a bit of my own sexy problem solving of high-waisted crotchless uh, garments oh okay how, so how, is very clever it, yeah, yeah explain yeah. this so how does this work how does that help with yeah, the bag yeah so the stoma bag is like stuck to me but then it also hangs so it's a bit loosey-goosey and it flaps around okay which can just get in the way when you're getting down day yeah so any like high-waisted or like full body kind of thing that is crotchless just keeps the bag snug against your body like it's not even the there yeah Amazing. to be honest most of the time I literally don't even notice it's there, you know, during the heat of the moment so, and all of that stuff. So how has your, like, sex life changed or not changed after the surgery? There's just, like, added things I have to think about. Like, I have to empty the bag beforehand just to make sure that it's, like, as flat as possible. 
but a lot of the time you go for a wee and you've or you freshen up before yeah hand but it just it does kind of mean that like being spontaneous is like not as easy but then probably the biggest difference has been like my body recovering from the surgery Mm -hmm. because actually for the first like maybe first month or so after surgery I couldn't come because you know you have to like contract your abdominal muscles in order to like get over the edge of orgasm so my muscles have been cut open like my core is so weak and there's so many things that I didn't even realize you needed your core to do yeah like opening heavy doors was really difficult for me I remember trying to sing like one of my friend's songs and I couldn't hit any of the high notes in it because my my tummy was just like no you can't do that anymore but like gradually like having like just strengthening it just from walking basically and moving around did that yeah worry you or did you kind of know what it was and knew that it was something you could get over or was it kind of a oh gosh is this just part of my new existence now it was really weird when it happened the first time I was like what the freak and basically it's like you you know you're building you're building you're building you get there and literally I was just like I was there I was there I was there but it's like wouldn't happen like and I couldn't and I and because I was like in um I couldn't really move a lot. This was like very early mm-hmm. days post-surgery. And so it was just like, couldn't tense, couldn't do anything to like get there. And I'd just have to like let it die. And it was so sad. And that happened no. like several times. I know. You're That's like, hard. I'm, I'm literally so heartbroken <laughs> for you. No. Oh, is, God. I would literally I, be like, yeah. what if I'd never come again? Well, I did think that, but rational me was like, no, this is just because your core is really weak and once you start gaining your strength mm. back, this it will come back. And then and then it did. And then I was like, oh! Was the first one amazing where you're like, I'm awake. <laughs> I just didn't stop trying. Yeah. That was the thing. So, so I had lots of failures and then one day it just worked. And mm. I was like, oh, and we're back in the game. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds silly, but did you have to practice? Did I you think... have to masturbate loads or was it like... Do you know what? My boyfriend encouraged me to. He was just like, maybe you should... That's a good boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. He was just like... I don't want to pressure you too much. And I don't think we should like have that, like, you know, we've been through a lot, so we don't need to like add this thing for you to stress out about as well. And he was just like, maybe just, you know, the, your first orgasm back needs to be through masturbation so that you can like, I don't know, better, because it would be me controlling it. Mm. I can feel my limits mm. better. Yeah. Has masturbation played a part in your kind of recovery or your sort of getting back in touch with the body that you now have? Yeah. Okay, so this is like okay. actually the most personal I've talked about this. Okay. So we're going to go there. So masturbation was huge because for ages with my core, like I couldn't really be very physical during sex. And actually it was ages until we had any kind of penetrative sex mm. because that idea of like something like hammering inside of me I was like ow 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 and and we actually tried a few times before um it even worked like we tried a few times and it was just like too painful and I couldn't Mm. and we had to stop um so masturbation and like mutual masturbation was like our sex life for a Mm. while yeah I I was I was wondering as well whether obviously you wouldn't wish anything like this on anyone Mm. but Actually, I wonder if in sometimes in difficult situations, it means that you're kind of forced to explore other parts of sex and intimacy and, you know, maybe step out of a routine. And like, you, mm. you know, if you can't have penetrative sex for a while, maybe that can be seen as a positive that you can explore each other in different ways. And did yeah. you have any of that or, or was it frustrating that you couldn't have the sex that you used to have? 
I think it was only it was only frustrating because like we hadn't been able to have sex in so long because I was really ill and I was in hospital for a month and now I was like in recovery and more than anything it was just like horny frustration (laughs) just like ah um but you know we've always had like I I you know I always say just like have a versatile like have a repertoire like of stuff you do like sex isn't just penetration Mm. and I would hope that anyone like even if you're not like put into a situation where you can't have penetrative penetrative sex abdominal penetrative (laughs) um then you should be kind of like exploring and like doing Mm. other things if you fancy too i think it's sometimes it's i think it's a shame that like people like immediately go to penetration Mm. and then if they can't do that then they work backwards of like okay well i guess what else can we do rather than like all of them being like on a level, on a level playing, playing field. field. It's like you've had to demote yourself. Yeah. It's like, no, they should all no, be they're all, they're equally all fun available. and have their place. Yeah, yeah they're all available like to you. Like pick and mix and yeah. that's how it should work. Yeah. I mean, talking of some of those other things, practicality-wise, mm. things like oral sex, anal sex, anything else, has anything changed? Have you had to think about things differently? So oral sex, there was definitely like some barriers that, that we had to kind of overcome because like because the bag is like so close there like the bag basically like hangs down like over my pubes yeah so it's like in that area but I can fold it up so that was just like more of like a mental thing to like overcome that like there is also a bag of poo really close to my face whilst I'm like in this situation and then with anal sex this was the thing that the the nurse either I didn't ask that because even I was too embarrassed (laughs) to ask or I was just so ill I can't even like remember if she said anything about it. I do remember having woken up from surgery and being like high as a kite and asking the surgeons if I could put anything up my bum. <laughs> but um All the it's a legitimate question. Yeah, to ask. yeah, yeah right? I but I don't right. remember what they said. And the th- so the surgery that I had, it me it's a temporary stoma or it can be temporary. And the reason for that is because they kept my rectum so I still have like a stump of a rectum inside me. And then if I was to get it reversed, um, they would need that rectum to then like make a pouch inside. Da, da, da. But some, for some people, like the rectum is also too inflamed and they have to get rid of the rectum and then you've got a permanent stoma. So I don't know if I'll have a permanent one or, mm-hmm. or this other thing. Say, like, will, yeah. So will you have to have surgery again and will you yeah. have to go through this process all again? Not necessarily the same process all over again because hopefully fingers crossed won't be like as ill as I was again but yeah at some point in the future I'm gonna have to have at least one more surgery so yeah I remember asking them how long my rectum is and I think I think they said like 12 centimeters and that just doesn't seem long enough to really put anything up there and it Mm. makes me a bit nervous Mm. and also I have been getting some more like inflammation inflammation and symptoms um there so that area to me is still just like ill not and worth it it's just like nah this this now is the part of my body where like mucus and blood sometimes comes out of mm. so we're like it's not no no it's thank not you in there. Yeah. no and then obviously if i get the surgery to remove it then there's no hole and then if i get the other surgery what i've heard is that it's a no-go zone because it's just too fragile the the yeah. thing that the surgeons construct like the new organ that they basically make for you. Apparently it's too fragile, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. So yeah, I feel like that's just not a thing. But my partner's got a bum, so 
possibilities. So yeah, they're more, endless. You know. Exactly. Yeah. One bumhole closes, another opens. <laughs> That's the saying goes. <laughs> like, you've got one. Don't be selfish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. It's so rude. Well, just share it. I it's know. fine. <laughs> so what would uh, what would you say to people who are going through this like single and going out on the dating scene? Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, genu- your, your experience must be so different. Yeah, because yeah. I've got a partner, yeah. and he was just like there for me the whole time, and was incredible. But I do remember thinking, I have no idea what I'd do if I was single and having to mm. date in this situation. Because like, at what point do you tell them that you have a stoma? Like, is it when you're in the Uber on your on your mm. way back for a shag? You're like, by drink. the way, mm. I've got a poo bag. Obviously, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And actually, if anyone is really grossed out by it, then they're not worth dating mm. or shagging or anything. But yeah, no, I can totally see how it can be like really tricky and difficult because I definitely, like, it took a huge knock to my confidence. Mm. Um, and I had to constantly ask my partner, like, do you still fancy me? Are you, are you mm. sure? Are you sure? Do you still find me attractive? But are you sure though? So yeah, that must be difficult. Were there things as well that he, like, it sounds like he has been amazing this whole time and such a kind of support system for you but you know you're kind of saying you're having to google and then not even find some of the practical things that you need to know about were there any things that actually for him as the partner of someone who was going through this both just kind of emotionally and sexually and practically that he was kind of like oh I wish I had some sort of tick list or some sort of advice like he had to learn on his own as well so he actually asked to speak to the stoma nurse as well. Mm. So when I was like post-surgery, we had a phone call. So I was with the stoma nurse and we had him on loudspeaker mm. and then he asked her loads of questions um, about everything and just being like how best to support me and like do's and don'ts and and all of that stuff. So I thought that was really great that he like mm. took initiative and was just like, I want to talk to the stoma nurse and ask questions too. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that yeah, was good. Um, and that's nice that you wanted and hopefully got that kind of reassurance that he was still finding you attractive or whatever. Because I think because there's a fine line because I think, you know, it's all well and good and we're getting better as a society as uh, embracing different bodies and mm. different sexualities and so, you know, and kind of empowering individuals to kind of feel like, yes, I deserve to be in this body and I deserve, you know, pleasure and whatever else. But actually you, you still need some reassurance that the person you're doing those things with also believes that, you know, right, and yeah, also yeah, yeah. still finds that body attractive or... I feel like know. I have such a different uh, relationship to it, having previously like always been able-bodied and always like to an extent like seeing myself represented I I just I feel like I don't have the same as maybe someone who has been disabled their whole life has never felt represented because even now like it's really cool when I see people with stoma bags and mm. there was like a um a brand with maybe like American Eagle or, or uh, uh, like a brand that was doing a line with them and it was like underwear and like all of the models had like different impairments and one of them had a stone bag and it was just really cool to see such diversity is that part of why you did this beautiful photo shoot (laughs) yeah yeah it was amazing because i you never see that you never see like anyone just barrel Mm. and have a stone bag was it for yourself yeah to be honest like everything that i've been doing has been like part of my healing process mm. Mm. and that's kind of like how I process and just 
I'm coming to terms with everything that's happened this year and I find that really helpful and you know I have this platform and so I know that it will also help a lot of people so it's kind of like it's it's definitely both things but with the photo shoot that was just like I want to do this I think it'll be really fun and I I feel like I needed something like that so like the one with Linda Blacker the one so like the blue and the pink yeah 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 Yeah. so we got we got two of the photos from that shoot printed um so people can like buy them um which is kind of cool but also kind of weird I was at (laughs) I was at an event in the summer and people were buying them and I was signing them and it was just like I'm if you'd have told me like a year ago <laughs> that I'd be signing photos of me in my underwear and selling yeah. them like that that's so weird but it was it's fine and actually I have the prints myself and I'm gonna frame them and yeah. hang them up in my bedroom yeah. and I'm like is that weird no <laughs> but also like I was like they can't go in any other room in the house like, in the bathroom <laughs> it's just like so people can in the them. in the spare room when my parents come to stay it's yeah. like no not probably not appropriate so it's going they're going in the bedroom which I'm very excited about but yeah, I'm also just like yeah. is this strange what's well, also just like almost something that everyone should do in terms of like you've chosen what your brand of sensuality and sexuality mm. is because you've had to stop and say okay no this is what I want sexy to look like yeah. or feel like to me now which is really cool yeah like, I'm kind of jealous you're you know? just kind of reclaiming sexy back yeah <laughs> and it's it's my uh, those that shoot and those photos was very much like a collaborative thing with me and Linda the photographer so it was all you know like how I wanted to look and how I wanted to be represented and how I wanted to see myself and actually when I look at those pictures genuinely I know it's me and them but they look like a work of art oh they are those they photos. are a work they, of yeah. art and you no, should say they that are. <laughs> they oh are goodness. and so and and sometimes when I'm looking at them I'm like I don't even see the stoneman bag I just see this like pre-Raphaelite painting and I just <laughs> think it says so much about anybody having the right to feel sexy on their own terms mm-hmm. like I think there's such a fine line between being sexualized by other people and through other people's eyes and also then reclaiming it for yourself and saying no this is how I deserve to be seen yeah. as a human regardless of any of this other stuff that may or may not be going yeah. on which and, is so beautiful and I've talked about sex online for years and this was actually the first time that I'd done a underwear shoot mm. or anything so I I feel like I'm trying to think of the internet's ever seen me in underwear before probably but it might have been like just on insta stories or something yeah. like that mm. this was the first time it was like here it all is and it was with a stone bag yeah. and a massive scar what is really great sex to you <laughs> now great sex is like i think it's one where you don't have like expectations or a goal in mind mm. i think it's just when you're like in it in the pleasure just experiencing whatever it is and there's no like time constraint there's no checking your watch and see if it's over (laughs) are we done here are we done here (laughs) communication chat about it Mm. with your clothes on and when you're sober preferably yeah timing i've learned yeah it's me listen um i'm sure everyone knows exactly where to find your youtube videos because you are everywhere but just in case where can we find you on social media just hannah witten everywhere Everywhere. basically everywhere literally literally <laughs> everywhere well that is it 
That is series two done. Thank you so, so much to every single one of our guests. And really importantly, thank you so much to you for listening and being curious enough to engage in our conversations. We love you so much. Never leave us. Um, As always, (laughs) the conversations don't stop here. We're always chatting about sexy things and putting the pleasure back into safe sex and healthy relationships on social media. So do follow us and chat to us at pro underscore pleasure. I have enjoyed hearing your stories because then it makes me feel less weird about mine. And if you have enjoyed this series, do rate, review and subscribe and tell your pals about us too. There will be more to come later in the year. So in the meantime, we would love to hear your thoughts about what you'd like us to talk about and who you'd like to hear from as well. And we are planning on doing some more live events and shows. So if you haven't made it down to one of our sex ed pub quizzes or game shows yet, keep an eye on our socials and we hope to meet you soon. Have a wonderful, long, sweaty, (laughs) sexy summer holiday and we'll see you for some more sex ed very soon. Dot, dot, dot. Lots of love, (laughs) Frankie. And Anushka. Pro pleasure out. Mic drop. Bam. (laughs) Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Transmission Roundhouse. Come through the noise.